We're going to turn in the Word today to Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is towards the end of the, ch- uh, of the book of Hebrews, and it orients for us uh, kind of much of the lessons uh, that he has uh, been preparing to teach. And so when we get to Hebrews 10, verse 19 and following, uh, we have uh, much of a summary uh, that, that anchors all that, that we've been receiving through Hebrews. So uh, join with me now if you have your Bibles. Uh, otherwise, you can follow along with the words on the screen as we together hear the word of the Lord. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on uh, towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is God's word for us offered in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Almighty God, we come into this space and this time thankful for the gift of your word. We know and we trust that you have a message for us contained therein this day as you do for us every day. I ask now, God, that you would Meet with us by the power of your spirit and that you would encourage us and remind us of of some truths or maybe even teach us some new truths about who we are and who we are in you. I pray, O God, that you would open our eyes, that we would see our ears, that we would hear. Our minds would come to know and understand your word, our hearts, we would feel its power. And I ask, O God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to a world that so desperately needs it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever found yourself in a scenario where you felt as though you didn't belong? I'm sure you have, and, and as I ask that question, the different circumstances that surround that begin to kind of wash over you, and, and some of them might have been about location, and some of them might have been about, about, about age or life stage, or some of them might have been about experience or expertise. Have you ever been in a place where you might have felt like you didn't belong? I was uh, commissioned as a pastor in... June of 2005, uh, I was 24 years old and had a one-year-old baby girl, Addison Grace Burnham. And uh, I, I just moved my family from Atlanta, Georgia, where I was in seminary, to, uh, to Houston. And I was appointed to be an associate pastor at St. Luke's United Methodist Church, Houston. Now, if you don't know about St. Luke's Houston, it, it's in River Oaks on Westheimer. It's in River Oaks on Westheimer, and I am 
24 with a one-year-old baby, moved from Atlanta, Georgia, to be the associate pastor of St. Luke's United Methodist Church. And, 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 and you know, put the whole scenario together. Uh, I w- have always been a believer that, that, that it, there's power in the pastor living amongst the people they pastor, that we're in community together to have community impact. But while I was a 24-year-old, newly starting out at St. Luke's and River Oaks, there was no place there for me to live. Got it? Right? Like, I... I yeah, so, so my wife and I lived down Westheimer, 30 minutes drive on Sunday mornings, uh, uh, pretty much at, at Beltway 8, and so I would commute up and down Westheimer through the Galleria, God forbid, every day. And so, and so I remember particularly my, my second Sunday at St. Luke's, it's a Sunday in June, and so what happens in a Sunday in June in a Methodist church, particularly a large Methodist church, the associate pastor preaches, right? The, the senior pastor's on vacation somewhere, so Dr. Moore was somewhere far off, and, and, and here I was, the new associate, and, and they wanted to introduce me to the church, so I, I, I was, was going to preach the second Sunday that I was there. And so I drove down Westheimer from uh, my little neighborhood on the outskirts of the region uh, through the Galleria District, and I remember crossing the tracks on Westheimer, and as you enter into River Oaks, like kind of the weightiness of River Oaks starts to around you and you you feel like you've entered into this new land and I pulled up to St. Luke's and and, and this morning I pulled up uh, through the the, the Westheimer the, the east entrance on Westheimer and the sanctuary just is like up there right in the, in the steeple and the cross and I pulled in on a park and I walked in to church and I sat in the sanctuary wondering how in the world was I going to preach here. If you've never been in the sanctuary, it, it, it's, it's long, and, and at, the, at, at, the, at the chancel, it rises up in the pulpit, right? The pulpit. Do you see a pulpit here? No. So the, the, the pulpit that I was preaching in just kind of rose up multiple steps, and it sits above the congregation that, that is, is uh, just, just, uh, just sprung, uh, sprung through, sprawling throughout the congregation. And, and here... Above the pulpit is, there's a technical word for it, but I don't even want to remember. This like, like microphone from the Lord. There, it, no, 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 seriously, seriously. There, there, is, there, is this, there is this like wire from the top of the sanctuary. It comes all the way down, and then there's this big like, like white uh, microphone from God that sits over the pulpit. And so... As you rise into the pulpit, you know that God is speaking to you as you speak to the people. That's, that's what you're supposed to feel. I'm 24, living in River Oaks, and I climb up for the 11 o'clock service, and there are over a thousand people in the room ready to hear from the Lord. And I am so intimidated. And what I, what I really feel more than anything else in that moment is I don't belong here. I want you to think about those moments 
that you have encountered where you feel like you don't belong. Whether it's about location or status or experience, where are those spaces for you? I feel that when I approach Hebrews 10. When I hear in, in, in this verse 19, this, this invitation uh, that, that, that the Lord is offering us, all of us, the people of God, uh, we, we should feel the weight that is being proclaimed here. And we oftentimes miss it because we don't understand what is being, what is being spoken of here because we're not Orthodox Jews or don't have that Orthodox Jewish heritage. So, so we don't know what's going on. But in verse 19, the invitation clearly is therefore brothers and sisters since we have confidence to enter the most holy place we're invited to enter in to the most holy place this is the place where the very real presence of God dwells We're invited to enter in there, and you might be thinking, as I do, do I belong there? Is that a space for me where the very real presence of God is known to dwell? Am I worthy? Am I able? Am I even invited? We want to know a little bit about, more about this most holy place. Uh, it, uh, Hebrews does the work for us. We don't even have to turn to a different passage, passage of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, just a few verses before what we read, we hear about this most holy priest, uh, this, this most holy place, and uh, it, it opens it up for us now. The first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. You got that? So so there's a lampstand. There's a table. There's consecrated bread. And that's the holy place. But then, but then... Behind the second curtain was a a room called the most holy place. And so this is describing the tabernacle worship where the people of God would come to meet with the Lord, where they would make sacrifices to the Lord. And, and, And here in that space, there was two rooms, one where the priest could go and one that that was the most holy place where the very real presence of God was pleased to dwell. The Ark of the Covenant rested there. And, and the Ten Commandments, the, the law was contained in the ark, and the very real presence of God was there. And let me tell you about that place. Once a year, one person, the high priest, was able to go only once they prepared a sacrifice of blood, and then they would enter in. One person, once a year, only once they prepared by sacrifice. 
So you and I could understand together why we, if we heard this encouragement in chapter 10, verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, we might say, who has confidence for that? I don't belong there. I'm not a high priest. It's, I, don't, I don't even know what day of the year that's supposed to happen on. I don't have experience with that. I don't know how to make that sacrifice. How could I be able to enter into God's presence? It's intimidating. It's awe-inspiring. And yet, and yet we hear in this very passage, verse 23, echoing in our ears, as it has been this entire series, that we hold unswervingly to hope because he who promised is faithful. We've heard over and over again that, that, that the God who promised is faithful. We heard about it as Abram was called to leave and to go. And he did and he was, he was known as faithful. But God was faithful in that all the more. We, we heard of Abraham and Isaac that, that God appealed to him, invited him. Do you trust me? Am I faithful? And Abram, Abraham said, yes, I know you are trustworthy. You are faithful. And he went. We heard about David and Goliath as David approached. Goliath, he trusted that God was faithful to accomplish what he could not accomplish on his own. And he was, he was willing to step forward and step out saying, God, you are able because you are faithful. We heard how Paul, how Paul knew about God's faithfulness, that God was faithful to accomplish in him something that nothing else could accomplish. His own obedience, his own following of the law was not capable of making him worthy uh, to, to, to proclaim a word for God, but yet God was able to use him. We have seen over the course of the series that God is in fact faithful. And here in this text, we're reminded of it yet again. He who promised is faithful. And so when we wonder, am I able to enter into this space, this most holy place? Do I belong there? We should, we should hear some of the promises of God. And there's one in particular that I want you to hear that's echoed throughout the Old Testament many times over. And it reminds us that, that this thing in Jesus was foretold, was made possible, and is in fact the fulfillment of a promise uh, it is that, that, that God proclaims over and over again that he will be our God and we will be his people. That we're invited into a holy union with God where, where he is our God and we are his people. And the, the division, the dividing walls of hostility that our sin builds up between us and God have been torn down and we are able to rest in his presence. We, we hear that promise first in Genesis 17 verse 7. God says to Abraham... I will establish my covenant. We're going to turn there. Abraham hears from God. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. 
after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after that. You see, God was already preparing to hear that relationship made possible and for us to hear that as well. And then it's continued on with Moses in Exodus chapter 6 verse 7. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the burdens of the Egyptians. As God proclaims, I'm going to deliver you from Egypt. He says, I am your God. You are my people. And then I want you to hear also in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, as the people of God are in exile, this fresh word comes to us. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Even to the exiled people of God, even to those who, who, who sensed or felt that God's promises were yet still far off because they were exiled, God said, I am still with you. And you are still with me. And in fact, one day it's going to be so intimately connected that I'm going to to dwell within you. You see, God who promised is faithful. God who promised is faithful in Jesus. In Jesus who makes that most holy place accessible. You you hear that this, this first tabernacle worship had 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 these this this first location and then the second inner room and there was a curtain that had to be walked through a high priest who had to go there and a sacrifice that had to be made see all of this is a reference to jesus for god who promised is faithful in jesus god is faithful in jesus first there needs to be an intermediary Someone who is able to to take you, even when you don't feel worthy, even when you know you're not able to go there, and, and, and he's able to come in on your behalf so that you can join with him. Jesus is the high priest. So we we hear that in in Hebrews chapter 4. This is a theme that has been building. Chapter 4, verse 14 and following We hear about Jesus as the high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not, did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with grace, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Did y'all hear? We have a high priest. His name is Jesus. He's the one that makes God's very dwelling place in our midst accessible to us. He's the one through which we have the confidence to declare, just as it was revealed to us in Hebrews 10, 19, that that we are able to enter the most holy place. But we, we enter in because Jesus did not go empty-handed. Did you hear that the high priest 
We talked about it just a second ago. The high priest entered with a sacrifice, a sacrifice of blood. And every year, this blood had to be renewed and there had to be a new sacrifice over and over and over again. But we have a high priest who made the sacrifice once for all through his blood. Jesus offered himself fully, fully for all of us, for all the world. In Hebrews verse, chapter 9, verse 7, we hear about that more specifically. It says, but, the, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that, that had committed in ignorance. You see, this blood was a sacrifice particularly for sin. So when Jesus enters in with his sacrifice of blood, he died and offered his very blood for our sins. So that as he entered in, we also might enter in the sacrifice made once for all. And then we hear finally that that he, in fact, is the curtain. His body is the curtain. He's a high priest. He enters with the sacrifice of blood and his body is the curtain, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20. But then we hear that reference over and over again, particularly on Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning. We hear it in Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 and 51, this reference to Jesus' body as the curtain. Here's what it says. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice, and he breathed his last. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Jesus is the high priest who's made a way by his sacrifice in his blood. And there is no more curtain separating you from God. This most high dwelling place of God that seems so far beyond and so far outside of, so, so, so distant from you, that, that seems so impossible for you to enter into, God has made the way in Jesus. And so we enter in. God is faithful in Jesus, and in his faithfulness in Jesus, it has the power to do two things for you. We hear them both in verse 22 of the passage we began with. It says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith, that faith brings. And here it is, two things for you. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with a pure water. That's such an outstanding layer of imagery. Cleansed and purified. 
But, but I want you to, to catch the nuance there because there is this, this preparedness to enter into the most holy place that, that we consider so daunting, and yet Jesus has already accomplished it. And he's done it by, by doing these two things. He's purified us white as snow. His blood has made us white as snow so that our sin no longer has power over us. It no longer separates us from God. But it does even, even more than that, I would articulate. It, it says that this, this purification is not just that we would be cleansed from our sin, but also cleansed from a guilty conscience. So, so if, if you or I are walking through life carrying the guilt of our sin, carrying shame from our sin, such that we perpetually consider ourselves unworthy of being in God's presence, uh, we need to be reassured yet again that Jesus has done that work. That when we hear from Jesus this day, he says, I have done all that needs to be done to cleanse you from your sin and from from your guilty conscience so that you are absolutely pure, not just externally, but internally, not just in your heart, but also in your mind. All of you has been purified and made worthy by Jesus' sacrifice to dwell with God, to enter into that most holy place. So earlier, if, if, if you heard that, that, that this most holy place was a, was, was, a, was a place you were invited into, and you thought, man, that's not, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm not ready. That's not something that, that I could do or I could enter into. On your own, you're right. But the word of God is clear that this is not something that is accomplished on your own. This is only accomplished through Jesus, and he has already made that way. All right, I need you to be with me because we're going to get to some so what. We have been on this journey establishing that God's faithful, that God is absolutely true, that, that, that he has proved himself from generation to generation, that all of his promises have been fulfilled, especially in Jesus so what? So what? This is the last Sunday in this series. So what? What does that mean for me? Is it just a mental ascent? Do I just need to know this in my head? Do I need to agree with this in some way? Or, or do I need to be transformed in, in, in some more extraordinary measure? So what? So what? We enter into this world, enter into our, our, our journey of life with confidence and with full assurance. We don't have partial assurance or temporary assurance. We have full assurance. We don't just have, have some confidence that seems to be ego or to be uh, some sort of uh, fleeting experience. But we have confidence, not in ourselves, but we have confidence in Jesus. We're to walk in the world as Christians with full assurance of hope that extends beyond ourselves. Confidence in salvation that reminds us that we are made worthy in Christ. So what? So what? So what? Some of us might think that this means that we are to respond in love and good deeds in the world. That we're to, we're to now go out and offer grace to the world. I say that every week before I gather up 
with the Holy Spirit to proclaim God's word. I say that we might offer grace to the world, but, but there's a, a piece further in Hebrews for us today. Not only are we called to respond with love and good deeds, but I want you to hear this. The work we do together matters. What is proclaimed here in Hebrews is not just for you in isolation. It's for us together and it guides how we live and operate as the people of God. In verse 24, we are called, because of all that we just heard about, because Jesus has made a way for us to exist in the the presence of God, we're to do this. Consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It's not enough. Wow, get this. It's not enough For you to respond to your faith with love and good deeds if you're doing that on your own alone in isolation. We are called to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We don't receive this gospel message and rest in it in and of ourselves so that everybody else can be stuck to figure it out on their own. We're supposed to be together in such a profound way that we can talk truth to each other and we can say, you need to love as Jesus loved us. You need to offer good deeds to the world because Jesus is worthy of our faithful response. We're to spur, spur one another on to love and good deeds. If you're on the camera, you might not got to see my giddy up. Come on. We in Texas know what a spur is. It means we're to, we're to poke each other to do something for the kingdom of God. And it might hurt. Sometimes when my brothers tell me how I am falling short of the glory of God in my life, it hurts, but I need to hear it, and I couldn't hear it if I didn't get together with them. Whoo! All right. Verse 25. Because we have this most high priest who calls us into God's holy dwelling place and we now dwell with him in unity forever through the blood with a torn curtain, we now have a so what? We spur one another on and we will not give up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another. All the more as the day is approaching. We, the people of God, cannot, cannot give up on meeting together. 
Well, that seems like a timely message. We cannot give up on meeting together because we are one body. Each of us are a different member of that body, but we are bound up together in one body. And if we're not meeting together, we're breaking up the body of Christ. And so here in this, in this passage, it reminds us that, that this is an easy habit formed. It, it, it actually doesn't remind us of it meeting together being an easy habit to form. But not meeting together is an easy habit to form. Y'all with me? Boy, that's easy. Not meeting together is an easy habit to form. Do I have a testimony in the room, right? COVID has proven that we can form habits of not meeting together. I have have continued in, in faithful relationship with so many of you who have confessed to me how hard it is to break out of the rhythms that have bound you during the the peak of the virus's impact such that you feel disabled to come back and meet together. I want to give you a word of encouragement. He who has promised is faithful. And we are called to meet together. And I, I want to speak about it this way. Some of us, we began in, in, in March on a roll, right? Worship in your house, on your couch was like, was like fire. Boy, we were standing to sing and we were singing and everybody was singing and we weren't getting distracted and we weren't, we weren't, we weren't flipping the channel and we weren't like getting up, uh, getting up at inappropriate times to like go make a list for the grocery store. Like, like, like we were on a roll in March, but then came around May. Right, somewhere in May, like all of a sudden, Pastor Jason was boring, and so we're like, "Oh, I got something else to do," right? Uh, or, or, or we hit the middle, the, the middle of the malaise, and we th- we sometimes some of y'all have told me how hard it is because, hey, the kids are such a distraction when I'm trying to worship, and I'm used to having them with us for a little bit, and then they leave, and then they come back. And so it's grown so hard for me to worship that that I just can't do it. And you know how often I hear that, that, that that has been a difficult space such that I have lost my habit of worship, of meeting together. Or maybe you found ways to persist, but maybe they were just for you. Maybe the way you persisted was, was you, 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 you found that quiet corner or closet of your house or a back porch. Or, or maybe you locked your bedroom door so that you could have no distraction. And, and just you in that comfy space found that time to worship. But you didn't even feel as though you were meeting with your family. Much less the entire gathered people because we had that incredible challenge 
the scripture is clear that we're to guard against creating habits that would prevent us from meeting together. So I want to state it in a positive and see if it sparks us into action in some way. We need to be about the business of creating habits that involve us meeting together. Even when it's hard. Even when it pushes us one step further than we have been. If it takes us from our home to a porch where we sit outside in socially distanced fashion and meet together, let's do that. If it takes us from our homes and it takes us out on the east lawn of the church for an outdoor worship night, let's do that. If it takes us from our home and brings us out to the front, front porch once a month for outdoor communion, let's do that. If it takes you into a community group that, you're, that has not met in months and, and your soul has felt the impact of not meeting together, do that. If it means that you are ready and able to come into in-person worship next week at 9 or 1030, do that. But let me tell you this. I've noticed, and it's, and it's, and it's true, that, that so many of us, as we're working to reestablish our practice of meeting together, we have lost that habit. And we're having to re-instill that into our lives. Some of us that were once every week worshipers are now 50% of the time worshipers. And some of us that were once 50% of the time worshipers are now once a month worshipers. And so on and so forth. The word of God says that because we have a high priest who's made a way for you to enter into the most holy dwelling place of God. You're to Gather with the people to spur one another on, to meet together. I invite you to pray this week. What is that step that I am being called to? So that I could be together with the people of God again in some way. Let us establish that habit all the more, maybe even better than it was in January and February. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come before you thankful for the clear direction that you give us in your word. This confidence and assurance that we have in, in, in who you are and how faithful you are to your promises and how that's represented in Jesus. Lord, we, we pray now that you would remind us that because we know of your son Jesus, we are to be of one body, working together. For a transforming impact in each other's lives 
and in the world. We trust in you for that, and we lift all these things up in the powerful and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.